Hello and welcome to I Spit on Your Grades, the Childhood Horror Edition. It's me, Mercer, the winner of the last um, full episode that we did that was a broil, and I'm joined by my beautiful regular co-host, Christopher. Hello, how are you? Uh, yes, and Faye. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I know, well, through me asking how I was, I mean, that's that's the next question, surely. Sorry, I'm so used to recording the Select Match Type podcast and not having or speaking to my co-host in a couple of weeks that the first thing I ask when we intro the episode is how they're doing. And I just realised I speak to you far more. I, I think you would just plug in your other podcast there. That's, yeah. It was an excuse. What a plug. What a melt. What a what? What a melt. What a melt. Melt. What a melt. <laughs> melt. melt. What a melt. <laughs> you fucking melt. You fucking melt. I have no idea what you're talking about. I know, it's caught me in it. Is, is, is it? Me? I don't know. Yeah, it is. It's Danny Dyer. Danny Dyer. Danny Dyer. It's a special episode today because guess what? We're together in one room. We are, so that should hopefully cancel out any feedback and echoey. <laughs> yeah, although saying that, we do apologise for some of the sound quality issues you may have on here. Can we realise, although our room is small, our echo is quite large? Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> but we are reunited though. Reunited and it feels so good. So, I'm away. Not so bad. Yourself? Not so bad, not so bad, you know, I'm still on a high from... Winning. Winning. Um, all those weeks ago? All those many, many weeks ago, then two weeks ago, when when I finally got my crown back, and I ain't letting it go, we'll let see. me tell you. We'll see. That means I am not letting it go. So this week, we're doing um, favourite childhood horrors, yeah. horrors that kind of, or films that had an impact on us when we were children... Um, that we've kind of carried into our adulthood and we hold on to this kind of this irrational fear that they created within us. So not necessarily horror. It, they don't have to be classed as a horror film. It's films that we find or found horrific yes. and traumatic. Yeah, films that had a, like, you know, probably maybe even helped drive our love for genre because yeah. we realised we like to torment and scare ourselves. So obviously, as usual, we asked everybody else for a bit of their opinions on what got them. So let's hear what they said, Chris. Thank you, first. Everybody got in touch. Faye, one of your favourite names has come back to us again. Mr Blunderbuss. <laughs> Blunderbuss. He has come back to us to say, Andrew Barron, sorry, to say an episode of Tales of the Unexpected called The Fly Paper and Ghost Watch. So at the night, it was broadcast the day after my 12th birthday and I was traumatised for months. It's not often you hear a Tales of the Unexpected and episode mentioned that's not Royal Jelly. Like, that seems to be people's go-to episodes, so it's nice to know it, there were other episodes terrifying people. Yeah, true. Dr. Lauren McIntyre nodding off. Basil, the great mouse detective. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> First film I ever saw in the cinema, absolutely shit scared of the bat. So it's not just cartoon mice, something that she has a, a fear of. Okay. Dan Popmatic, he said that robot from the black hole and also remembered being freaked out by a film called The Green Slime one summer holiday morning, plus returned to Oz. Ovs. 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 Corpse Bride, Noelle underscore Kelly, 
There are a few, but Ghostwatch UK left me and my sister terrified for months on end. Also, this double act from The Shining, I still have an irrational fear of them. So, obviously, the twins from yeah. The Shining. Stevie, film fan Stevie. I think the first time he's ever left, ever come with any feedback on something we've asked on Twitter. Yeah. So, thank you, Stevie, for coming to us. City of the Living Dead. <laughs> hey, it's really good film, City of the Living Dead. <laughs> It's proper gory. Like, I mean, I'm not saying you should just watch a film because of the gore, but it was, it was way more harsh than I was expecting it to be. Yeah. And Faye, you'll appreciate this one as well. So this is from Scared Sheepless, Caitlin. I have a few, an episode of Strange But True, I think, haven't been able to find it since, with a teeny tiny skeleton someone found in their garden. Saw the excess far too young because the babysitter didn't care. Most of the load was getting obsessed with Ursula in Little Mermaid. And I know you love Strange But True. I do love Strange But True. And I had to correct Caitlin and said the only Strange But True episode that mattered was the one on the Stocksbridge Bypass. Oh. It was the best episode. So much so that it's all over YouTube. Like, it is the go-to episode. Um, the acting in it is awful. It's so bad, but it's I so love, funny. I love how you had to correct Caitlin. I did. I had to correct. Yes, you are wrong, Caitlin. Your fears <laughs> do not count. They are not valid. <laughs> <laughs> and the last couple. So Pierre, Adrian, be honest, I have no idea how to pronounce your surname, so I'm going to call it Waydare. Waydare. Please, correct if, I, if yeah. I butchered it, please correct me so I don't say it wrong in the future. And he went for Superman 3, saw it in the cinema, was 6. See, Superman 3... Faden, remember this one. I'm not sure if you will merge it. I'm sure it's the scene at the end when she gets turned into the robe, the weird mechanoid creature thing. I have not a clue. Is this the one with Gene Hackman in? Or the three people? No. No, um, that's the first, second. second? I don't know. I love how you know what I'm on about by saying three people. Yeah. In, in the, in in the, the, diamond, in the diamond glass yeah. thing. No, yeah, yeah, no. no, it's not those. no. And finally... At Salted Popcorn, probably more TV than films, although I saw original Dawn of the Dead and An Iron Man Elm Street a bit before I could handle them, and Creep Show. But the old Day of the Triffid show and The Mad Death, a miniseries about a rabies outbreak in the UK, traumatised me. Never never seen it. I've heard of Day of the Triffids, so I've never I know seen Day it myself. Of, yeah, I know Day of the Triffids, The Mad Death, the miniseries about rabies outbreak. Oh no, no idea. I'm not seen, I've not seen that. Very, be honest with everything going on in the world at the moment. A film about an outbreak is probably not 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 one of me sitting down and watching yeah. right now. But that's everyone's feedback. So thank you very much, everyone, for coming back to us and letting us know what traumatised you as a kid. And no one said Carry On Columbus, <laughs> which <laughs> when they tried to reboot the Carry On film, it was a fucking disaster. Yeah, proper traumatic. That was terrible. Well, shall we get into it then? Let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to go first today because that's just how things work. Now, you'll be surprised with my pick. You probably won't. But, you know, as a child, I've always watched horror films. So, like, I, one of the earliest films I can remember watching is, like, Cannibal Apocalypse. Um, we had Blast House on the left on video, probably a pirate version as well. You know, um, I grew up with Freddy Krueger. Um, you know, I've had, I watched a lot of hardcore stuff when I was younger. Mm -hmm. But my pick is the nineteen eighty five Disney classic, <laughs> Return to Oz. Obviously, obviously, this 
film is so fucking dark, considering its target audience. So if you look on IMBD, the film's rated a U. Mm. The DVD's rated a PG. Which I definitely said PG. Through, yeah, definitely not like something that you want like an under 12-year-old to watch on their own, I don't think. No. Like a child. Um, obviously, Return to Oz is exactly what it says. It's the story of Dorothy Gale returning to Oz, except Oz isn't what it used to be. Oz has been taken over by the Gnome King, and he's destroyed the Yellow Brick Road. <gasps> Gasp. What a bastard. What a bastard. He's frozen or turned everyone into stone in Oz so that he can have the overall power. And um, Dorothy's there to rescue the Scarecrow who's been kidnapped by the Gnome King um, primarily. Obviously, there's like a little other stories like, you know, the Cowardly Lion and the Tin Man are now stone and um, Ozma needs rescuing as well. But, you know, we don't know who Ozma is yet until... Till we watch it, but she's the daughter of Oz, apparently. Mm. Um, if you read the books, I love this film just because it it like instantly kicks off with I think quite a serious subject matter, which is Aunt Em and um, Uncle Henry concerned over the mental stability of Dorothy, who is talking about a land that they don't believe exists. And they're questioning her mental health. And it's set in just in 1900. Yeah. And um, the way that they're going to deal with this is to send Dorothy to technically an asylum. For electric shock treatment. For electric shock <laughs> treatment. Yes. <laughs> like That's, you do. <laughs> like you do. That's like the first part of this where you're just like, whoa. Yeah. Like this is for like kids you said concerned i didn't think they were that concerned i thought they just wanted to get rid that's what it felt like you're like uh, we, no, we can't they... cope with this pressure let's just send her off they were gonna go and pick her back up though it wasn't like they've just yeah. got they've got rid of her they clearly care they packed a lunch <laughs> yes which she won't need because they have excellent facilities at the the host hospital hostel not whatever it is that she's being sent to so you've got that. She meant to say electric facilities. Yeah. <laughs> but then, so like, and then we we meet Ozma as well there, who brings in, uh, I think these are all key things, so she brings in a pumpkin head, um, which has the most baffling scene after, I don't understand it, where Dorothy's combing the pumpkin head's head with a comb, but there's no hair. <laughs> She's just combing the skin of a pumpkin. And yeah. I was like, I don't understand what you're doing there. It looked quite torturous. And then we get to hear the sound of the trolley coming up the hallway, which in itself is also quite scary. Like that creaky kind of eerie sound. And then she gets strapped down so that they can, you know, electrocute her. Yeah. Electrocute her dreams and visions out of her. You're like, this is weird. Anyway, Osma comes and rescues her after a power cut. And they run into the woods to escape. They jump into a river. Ozma drowns, apparently. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. We just killed off some a small child already. Um, and Dorothy falls asleep and wakes up in um, a desert that if you touch it, you become sand. Again. The risks are far higher in Return to Oz than they are in Wizard of Oz, aren't they? Um, like, you didn't have any of this in, in Wizard oh, of Oz. Well, she's she still... Yeah, I mean, she's still obviously fearing for her life in 
the Wizard of Oz, but as you say, the danger is dialed. It's like anything. What do you do with this, this difficult second album? What can you do but turn up everything that was good in the first one? So you go, oh, there's quite a bit of threat there. We'll fucking dial that up. Yeah. Well, yeah. This, I mean, this one is actually up until a point. There's it just feels like all it is is peril for <laughs> for Dorothy. Yeah. It's like, oh shit, I've got to get across this sand that's going to kill me. Okay. Be fair. Be fair, the desert is only about ten foot across. Yeah, it's so it's, 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 she's not got a long way to go. Thankfully, is a very small localized death desert. Um, it, it were at this point, I like just like with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where I got really jealous of the fact that all the plants and stuff were made out of food. It's like I want my own lunch pail tree where I can just go up and take lunch whenever I want. It's all ready for you. It's great. I mean, if you're not a vegetarian, yeah. Um, not that I am, but you know. Bit of a pain if you pull a ham sandwich down, isn't it? Oh, shit. Shit. I don't eat carbs either, so that's also a problem. You just um, set the ham out. It's fine. <laughs> and the carbs. <laughs> Air sandwich. Um, no, it's good. And then she finds the yellow brick road. Well, she finds the old house. And she's like, oh, this is where we killed the witch. You're like, all right, great. <laughs> what a lovely memory. This is where I killed someone. <laughs> oh, my God. Look, she was dead there. <laughs> whoop de doo Oh, yeah. And obviously, we've got a talking chicken with her at this point. Let's not forget the talking chicken. <laughs> obviously. Uh, why, why would you not? Well, because she's not got Toto this time around. She's got Belinda, the talking chicken. Um, but then she finds the road to Oz all destroyed and she knows shit's gone down and she gets to Oz and everyone's frozen and she sees this sign saying beware of the wheelers and then we see the wheelers and this is, you know, the sound of the wheelers is exactly the same as the sound of the trolley mm-hmm. that comes to take her to her electric shock therapy. Um, so are, yeah. we, are we sure she's not just a paranoid schizophrenic I'm, and all these things are actually just in her head? We'll get to that at the end because uh, yes. it seems to be supporting that evidence right now, yes. does he not? Um, so we do that and then, um, you know, she escapes from the wheeler, she finds um, TikTok, not the app. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case anyone's confused. I do wonder if TikTok took the name from Return to Oz. I think it's like time. It's because you've got a certain amount of time. You used to have like a little, you didn't have a lot, so like TikTok. So I think. Then they gave three minute videos and just ruined the whole name. Because you get three minute videos now. We find TikTok. We bring TikTok to life. TikTok's like, ah, yes, I was expecting you. The scarecrow told me that you would come, and now we need to go rescue him. Um, but the only person who knows where he is is Mombe. Which one's Mombe again? Mombe's the witch. Right, okay. Mombe's the witch who swaps her head. Yes. She takes her head off and replaces it with a head that best suits her mood, and she stole these heads from the people who live in Oz. It's just like, what the fuck? We We've sh- got headless statues because Mumbi saw the heads. We should reference TikTok because he's a really good design. He's very, oh, much, yeah. old, very much old major Army British military kind of, yeah. kind of... Like the moustache on it is yes. perfect. TikTok as well, just to support this, is she crazy? Like, is this in her mind or not? Resembles the facial air, the electric machine. Like at the beginning, uh, the doctor says, okay. "Here are the eyes. Here's the nose. Here's the mouth." Da, da, da. Yeah. So you know, like that old school kind of mechanics. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, we get to meet Mombi. When we first meet, she's quite cool. She's playing this harp. She's beautiful. And then she goes and swaps her head to this, like, evil person who then goes to Dorothea. You, you're not pretty. <laughs> There's something about you, but you're not good looking. Yeah, you're not gorgeous. You're not gorgeous, but I'm going to kidnap you until I'm ready to cut your head off. <laughs> if, if you got the good head on, why would you go and swap it and go, you know what? I'm sick of I'm sick of being good. I'm gonna go and put an evil head on. I don't think it's deter I think she still has her own personality, it's just how the head looks. I'm not sure she does though, because later on, Jack Pumpkinhead says Jack Skeleton. Jack <laughs> Might as well be. <laughs> Jack probably he did so that he got that idea from Return to Wars. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, but Jack Pumpkinhead does say she were wearing a different head when she put me up here. Oh. And I don't think she's wore it since because she's not remembered that I'm up here. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And we meet Jack Pumpkinhead. Oh, a pumpkin head. Like the pumpkin head that Ozma brought to Dorothy in the hospital. Yeah. <gasps> I mean, you, you know, you don't you don't have to sell it to me. I think Dorothy's crazy in this. <laughs> I do. I absolutely do. I mean, yeah, I can't... I can't I, I'll confirm why at the end, especially the end scene... It's, this is definitely old Dorothy. She is out of her mind. She needed that electric shock treatment. She absolutely fucking did, she yeah. She still does as well. I mean, look what happened to her. She went on to be a witch in a school and then a high school witch who chucked a man out of a window like Gailey's crazy. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then she went and robbed houses <laughs> in whatever that film was from Friday Fest where I she... Didn't see it. It was a really good film. I didn't see it. I didn't <laughs> see it. The name of it. Um, anyway... Um, we rescue Jack, then we go to the Gnome King, and then we have even more drama because the Gnome King then makes them play a game, the most twisted game of, um, like, guess who, but, like, with ornaments. It's like I've, I've converted your friends into ornaments. Yeah. Find them. All Find right. Them. And if you get it wrong, you're going to become an ornament too. You're like, why is poor Dorothy? And give me a That's, fucking, yeah. She's not a like fucking brick, yeah. <laughs> she's just, everything's awful for her. Um, but she, it all works out in the end. It's all good. Anyway, the reason I love this film is partly because of that fact. The fact that we put Dorothy in peril and we keep her in peril pretty much for the entirety of the film. Yeah. We don't get to break it into no happy song in this one. There's no joy. There's no, like, happiness. It's just, like, fuck, 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 fuck. We've got, like, challenging mental illness. We've got challenging loyalty. We've got... Um, you know, it's like she's given the option you can go home or you can rescue your friends, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. And for a 10 year old, she's supposed to be 10 in the film, um, that's quite a big like decision to have to make. This is a trend though with 80s children's films, it's, it seems to be more so than any other era quite distressing. Like, even in something like Care Bears and Transformers, you have from like what happens in Care Bears that freaks you out? They like get. Melt No, they get slot. They get this weird goo. Yes. And so like, entrapped in, and then obviously Optimus Prime dies. Yeah, so like eighty. I mean, look at Neverending Story. That's just as terrifying. A lot of comparisons I feel to Neverending Story too. 
Returns was, by the way. Uh, when I watched this, I felt like, oh my god, I can see so many influences in later films. I don't know if they're really true or not, but for example, the wheelers. Wheelers. When we first see the wheelers, there's a mask, and then they lift the head up, and they've got the head. And all I could think of was the creepy scene in the Poughkeepsie tapes. That's exactly with what I said. Yeah. Crawling with the mask, but it's not. I said that's probably where you got your fear of it from when it when you saw it on Poughkeepsie tapes. I went shit. Probably, like, yeah. Because that, that is one of the freakiest things in the Poughkeepsie tape. So you've got that. And then we've got, like, obviously Jack Skell and Jack Pumpkinhead. Uh, and then we've got the Gnome King when he dies. So the Gnome King, di- I love how he dies, he swallows an egg. <laughs> Who knew eggs were poisonous? Who knew? Serious, serious egg allergy. Who knew? But he swallows an egg and it kills him. And then he starts melting exactly like the Evil Dead Deadites. There's a, in the Evil Dead. There's a scene in it as well where at the end, I know I'm jumping to end, but we will come back, where uh, Toto goes to find Dorothy and runs through the grass and it looks like the Evil, Evil Dead, Dead shot. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like, so I think it's definitely influenced a lot of films. Yeah. And it, like I said, for a children's film, the subject matter is all dark. Speaking of the Gnome King, can we just take a second to answer is is it that dorothy has massive feet or is it that the gnome king has really tiny feet because he's wearing those reds i mean you go girl do you think uh but when he passes them to dorothy she just slips them on it's like hang on he would have stretched those motherfuckers out he's got rocks for feet i think he can shift sides obviously he comes out like he moves through rock and turns Changes shapes and stuff. So I imagine he probably just shrinks. Yeah. It gives the hilarious shot where you'll have a 200 foot tall gnome king made out of stone with size four shoes just <laughs> at the bottom. Or the shoes are magic themselves. Like, there's yeah. the dead. We're in Oz. We're in Oz. Like, anything can happen. Absolutely anything. Okay. Oh, we've got, I mean, I don't even know where half these creatures come from, like the wheelers and stuff. Like, they didn't yeah. used to exist. When Dorothy were there, it was just one witch that she had to deal with when the first Dorothy were there, because this is also Dorothy. No, she, she had the flying monkeys as well. And if you look at the wheelers as well, I find that their costume is very quite s- very similar, similar to the flying monkeys. Evolution. Evolution, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know, I never thought of that. Yeah. That's, I, I feel like it is evolution, I'm going with that. Yeah. They've evolved into, from flying monkeys to... Humans with wheels—a <laughs> natural evolutionary step. It's, it's impressive how they move on them things. You've got to say, like, I fall over on my face, but they manage it so effortlessly. I think they are terrifying as well. Mm. I legitimately think they are terrifying, even now. Like, not when they're not speaking. As soon as they start speaking, then you go, oh, "All right, you're not that scary." Yeah. Um, and I think Princess Mamba is terrifying. The vo- when she puts. This is the scene when Dorothy goes to steal the powder of life and she breaks in and it's just Mombi's head opens her eyes and goes yeah. and then she's screaming and then and this is the thing she's screaming and then there's this headless body running at Dorothy <laughs> with like all the heads screaming at the side like Evil Dead 2 mm. um, just this headless body running and you're just like oh my god and like even when they're up in the room and you can hear Mombi still screaming you're just like, this is fucking terrifying. It's terrifying. I, I wasn't terrified myself, 
But I think if... Because I didn't have that much exposure to Return to Wasp when I was a kid, if I'm honest. I seem to remember some sort of video and watching it in a video with, like, clips of it. I don't know whether it was a trailer before another film or what, but it started coming, you know, it started coming back to me like as I saw bits, and I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of remember this bit. But I think if I'd have, if I'd have had more exposure to it, I think yeah, it would have been a a traumatic experience. Obviously, as an adult, it it didn't have the same yeah. impact, but I can put myself back into that childhood space. And like I said, for me, it's bizarre that something like this that's aimed at children was a lot more terrifying to me than some of the other films that I would have watched as a child. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's because they were aimed at adults, so you knew it was supposed to be scarier, mm. but you shouldn't be scared of this, if that makes sense. So because you shouldn't be scared of it, because it's a kiddies film, that makes it all the more terrifying. Yeah. Um, and I think, as well, because I think Feruza Balk is fantastic. Mm. Um just in general, but as a kid, she's one of them actresses that I used to watch a lot. Like I said, I, like this and The Worst Witch used to be two of my favourite films. Um, and Anna. Um, I'm with you on Anna, I don't worry. I'm with you on um, it. But like, I used to love them. So like, I love that film. And like, like I said, Mombi is absolutely terrifying. And the woman who plays Mombi is, um, I don't know which one it is. I think it's Fiona, Fiona Victoria. Um, it's difficult to tell because a lot of the cast in this are dual cast. Yeah. So some are like the in the costume and some are voices, but yeah. they don't differentiate on IMBD Uzu. Um but yeah, I find it I think this film is ter- terrifying. And then it does pose a question of did any of this ever happen to Dorothy? Well, at the end, when it comes back to uh, air quotes reality and she's laying there and she's picked up by we haven't said Piper Laurie by the way. Oh yeah. Legend. Um she's picked up by Piper Laurie and she says, Oh, there was a fire in the orphanage and uh, everybody got out or somebody or other. And it's like Dorothy, I'm guessing started that fire. I think she's the one who started the fire and maybe ran away and got scared and that's how she ended up on the bank and stuff like that because this a lifelessness behind her eyes when she's been took away. There is in there. She's just like, you can't see it on a recording, but staring. So yeah. Um, I'm absolutely certain that Dorothy started the fire intended to kill and kill everybody, and this is all in her head. I mean, and then you marry it up with the pumpkin and Jack Pumpkinhead and um, the, the, the noise of the wheelers mm. and the wheeler, the like, wheels on the... <laughs> Wheels on the bus, wheels on the trolley versus the wheelers, <laughs> yeah. and then the TikTok machine, and then even down to kind of Mombi representing like a similar character of the nurse, yeah, yeah. the strong kind of female, you will obey me character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that yes, she. I mean, she talks to herself yeah. in I, mirror as well. I mean, she gets in and she's like, "Oh, I, w- I wish there was two. I wish there was two of me." Well, yeah. <laughs> There are. I imagine there's various various personalities you have, Dorothy. Yeah. Although, so just if we assume that it's, I say assume that it's real, as if there is an Oz. If we assume for the purpose of the film that there is actual Land of Oz and it's not just all in her head, she she gets to the end and she goes, oh, "I wish there was two. I wish there was two of me, so one can so one can stay here and I can go back." 
Right, okay, so you wish there was two of you, but you don't want to stay in the magical, amazing land of Oz. You want to go back to the shit box, dirt pole of Kansas and leave the other new coffee here. She may be... She's off red. She's not that, not that bright. <laughs> no, she is off red. You are right. And that, there are two of us coming. I didn't even think of that, but she says, I wish there were two. And then Osmer appears and goes, oh, Dorothy, as if, like, you say, oh, that is the split version of Dorothy. Yeah. So there are two of me. Um, because everyone wants Dorothy to stay and be the queen, but Osmer's the princess of Oz. So, yeah, that's bizarre. Um, yeah. Also, this is bizarre. Did you know who actually... Um, auditioned for the role of Dorothy. What, in Return to Oz? So Return to Oz, yeah. No. I've got a list. Juliet Lewis. Oh, I fucked up. <laughs> I mean, plays fucked up characters, mm-hmm. I should say. Elizabeth Berkeley. Plays fucked up characters. Alanis Morissette. Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Barrymore. Oh! Fucked up, fucked up characters. <laughs> And I, I honestly think as well, this, I love Drew Barrymore, but I don't think this would have worked with Drew Barrymore. I don't think she's got the same edge as Faroza yeah. Bolt. The only person I think who has possibly is Juliette Juliet Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. yeah. I think she'd have done an awesome job. Um, but she's also, because she, she plays a bit docile as well, and I think she would have played more towards mental... Like, it's a mental illness. Yeah. Even as a small child, I think that's where she... But that's what I think Faroosa Bolt does as well, because I think she does it so well. So, even back then, you spot the potential of someone who's going to take on these Mm. kinds of roles when they grow up. Well, anyway, all I'm going to say is, Return to Oz is nightmare fuel. Don't let your kids watch it, but make sure you vote for it. We now move on to my choice for childhood horror. Um, there are plenty I could have picked from. You'll be happy to hear you're not going to be listening for 20 minutes about the Twilight Zone because it wasn't until I picked this that I thought, fuck, Twilight Zone, because that did actually mess me up and still does to this day to the point where I saw a picture of Dan Aykroyd in his horrible monster get-up the other day and it freaked me out so much just looking at it. I had to... Turned it off my phone. I was like, nope, can't be looking at that. So I don't know why I didn't go Twilight Zone, but I didn't go Twilight Zone. I went with something far more real and (laughs) (laughs) possible. The possibility of this film being real was... I've gone for 1986's When the Wind Blows. Not Threads, as everyone was expecting, because I didn't actually watch Threads until I was into my 20s. the reason I've gone with this one is because I think this was possibly the film that started my phobia of atomic war and the end of the world and all all that crap. So we've got um, James or Jim. Does it get referred to as Jim? Is Jim. Jim and Hilda. Hilda, thank you. This is my film. <laughs> You'd think I'd know that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we've got Jim and Hilda uh, living out in the middle of nowhere in the countryside and they um, get some pamphlets through the door, hear some things on the radio about the possibility of a nuclear strike. Um, it's all very jovial in their eyes because they see it as kind of the blitz spirit. You know, they've been through a war, so they're going to survive through this one. It's absolutely going to be okay. We just need to do what the government tells us, etc. Um 
but the reality is that they're not prepared for what happens and we see the bomb drop we see the fallout and we for about half an hour 40 minutes are watching them die slowly and painfully and the two old people and it's it, it I, there is no way you cannot be traumatized by this film it's just an awful thing to show children it was marketed apparently as threads for children <laughs> it's like why would you be doing that threads is fucking terrifying on its own i mean to be fair it is from raymond briggs he is, yeah. is a man who likes to traumatize i don't know what i know what goes through his head when he sits down the right and then I think this was the basis of my parents letting me watch this when I was younger because it was like, oh, it's by the guy who did The Snowman. What could possibly be wrong with this? <laughs> yeah, a lot, as it seems. <laughs> um, we mentioned before we started recording about the different animation techniques this film takes because you've got live action, you've got animation, and you've got... Um, stop motion. Stop motion, yeah. It's, it's got a lot of things involved in it, and I think the reason for that is to show that especially back then this was a very real threat and I think bringing that real element into it just makes it all the more scary like I I don't know about you guys but I I remember knowing about nuclear war when I was a kid but not fully understanding it and I think that's like with the with the AIDS pandemic as well when that was first coming out I remember knowing about it but not fully understanding the ins and outs of it because I was a child why would I know that and I think that's why I relate to this, because they're in that same mindset. They know something of it, but they don't fully understand it. So we're in the same boat as them, essentially. Well, yeah. The, the weirdest thing to start with in here is the nostalgia for previous wars. Yeah. There's a weird, a really odd pining for the the good old days when, as you say, it was all Blitz Spirit and yeah. Indy Anderson Shelter and singing along, which is really weird, because you'd think... For most people who'd lived through that, they're not. It's not something they'd want to return. But I think it's because they lived through it that they think they can live through this one, and I think that's why they are so up, upbeat, essentially, about it. I don't think they are. Well, I think because I think I got like two very different perspectives. I got Hilda, who kind of in my mind didn't believe anything was going to happen, and if it did, it doesn't matter because we've done it before. Mm. And then we've got Jim, who was very much like, I need to prepare for this because I don't think we can survive unless we follow the government guidelines. So, and like the way he kicked off at his son, yeah. we found it quite amusing. Um, that kind of rings true as well, because if you think, even now, like when your parents tell you about things, you kind of go, oh my God, stop being so melodramatic. Yeah. Um, even if you know it's quite a serious issue, yeah, you almost think, oh God, you are taking it to the extreme. I think in the beginning, though, I think Jim does see it more. Both of them, they see, maybe not Hilda, because she's just pottering around and worrying about things that she shouldn't be worrying about. Like, oh, what if we scratch paintwork? What if you get something on the curtains? It's like, love, once your house is blown to bits, that is not going to matter, trust. But they're the stocking up and they're getting all this food and, like, he goes to the shop and he's like, oh, they, they didn't have bread or they didn't have so-and-so. It's like, oh, we'll be all right, we had it, we'll be fine, because they don't think that there's going to be that big a consequence. If you could see my angry face right now, because he goes to the shop to get bread and they don't have any, but then later on he slices, slices a loaf of bread and I will fucking fuel me. <laughs> I'm like, where did that come from? They they might have just had some in the they probably had it in the no, cupboard. I don't believe it. Also, I thought you were funny. 
<laughs> when he goes, oh, we need bread. We've got to be lots away for four weeks. So we'll get 14 loaves of bread or something. I'm like, what? Like a loaf of bread a day? <laughs> you don't know how they used to eat back then. <laughs> what? How many like slices bread. of loaves of sandwiches? It's odd that the lessons and the themes going on around the panic buying and all over by Christmas seems to, seems oddly familiar in this See, we, we tend time. to pick a lot of films that mirror what's happened over the past couple of years, I think. We seem to... Well, I mean, they're there, you know, they're in the horror it's just, world. So. It's just one of those things that clearly shows that even back then they were given guidelines, follow these guidelines, do this, do this, and then there was the attack on the left with his son who went to art college, the liberal, the attack on the left, the left wing. Yeah. It's very, it's very much, it's very much today. So press, it's very much the government attacking woke, attacking left wing politics yeah. and issuing guidelines while people panic by and the ending ends up absolutely disastrous. When they are panic buying and stuff, that obliviousness that they both have, especially Margaret, you do find it kind of, Hilda. I, Hilda, sorry. Why do I keep saying Margaret? Hilda, of course. My apologies. Um, it is kind of adorable what they're doing, and you're like, that's really... It's kind of funny and sweet, and you're like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. Oh, that's not going to end well. But the minute that that bomb drops, it's not adorable anymore, it's, and everything they do after yeah. that is just heartbreaking. I th- yeah, I was very enamoured with... Um, the performances from Peggy Ashcroft and John Mills as um, Hilda and Jim. And I really loved that couple. And then I got mad. I'm really mad at Jim when he called her a bitch. She was panicking. I I know it was panicking, but that, like, do you know, like, sometimes, like, it just feels like even in the maddest of times... Like, that wouldn't be the response that he would give. There's a lot of people who say that, yeah. Yeah, it's just that one more, because then he doesn't have that again. So that kind of, and I get, like, he's scared because the bomb's coming, but, like, that kind of, like, made me go, I don't believe this. This cartoon. Um, Maybe it's because if he didn't show some sort of urgency, she probably wouldn't have gone in because she was not keen on the idea of getting to that shelter anyway. I mean, like that shelter's going to do anything anyway. This is this is still a real problem today in that your government will give you this advice on stuff to do and it's totally uninformed and it's totally useless. And there was a really good part in the, I said good, really interesting part when he goes, I don't know what to do because in the government book it says do this, but in the... Local book, guide, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. says to do this. Conflicting information. Yeah, which is all like you ever get in any kind of situation. Yeah where it could affect the country. You get this conflicting stuff. I, like I said, I thought I thought they were great together. Um, but I'll be honest with you, Fair, I kind of got to a point before the bomb hit where I was getting a little bit bored. Okay. Um, so I was... I felt like it had gone from being like a film to a, pub, a public service announcement. And I know you said like that's kind of the intention behind it. I would believe so, yeah. But I just felt like it was too much and then that wouldn't marry well with time. I, uh, but like I said before, I believe that they're doing all this because at the time when this was released, 
this was something that could potentially happen mm. and could potentially happen at any time. So I think in the same way that you had that you had a lot of this back then, like when you were doing PSAs and such, they'd use like jovial OAP characters to get information across. There's a whole, um, I forgot what they were called, but there's a whole series of uh, this couple who get into accidents and stuff. One of them, one of them's about having worn tires, and they take a crash off a cliff. So they do it all through cartoon to get it across. And I think that's the point that this is makes it sink in more. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not, re- you know, I, I didn't write the thing, so maybe it wasn't. It was just the way I saw it. And actually, to be fair, like thinking about it. In, a, in in retrospect, after the, you know, it's been such a long time since I watched it yesterday, I think. Mm. Uh, two days ago, I watched it two days ago. Um, actually, the idea of the mundane and then the devastation of the bomb hitting, because as soon as the bomb hits, the tone completely changes and actually the film gets devastating. Um, so actually, maybe, maybe that's just a very clever move to others in this kind of like, oh, God, this is like a bit boring, nothing's happening, I don't even think there is going to be a bomb. But then, bam, as we are bomb, and then watch that devastation. Yeah. Actually, maybe it's a lot cleverer than I give it credit for. After, after the bomb hits is where it starts getting bad, like really, really bad, to the point that, you know, they're trying to follow the guidelines and they're trying to stay inside, but eventually... Um, Hilda gets restless and says, no, I'm going to go out, sort it, of thing. Jim will fucks up first. Is it? Yeah. He, he wakes up, in, he, like, they're in there. He's got to be for 14 days, and he wakes up and gets out mm. and starts going, and goes, we'll make a nice cup of tea. Because when I watch it, I was like, 14 days, like, I don't feel like they've been in there for 14 yeah. days. And then he goes, shit, we're supposed to have been in there for 14 days, get back inside. And yeah. she's like, oh, well, we've already been out now. And I think they, they're like, mm, nothing's happened. It's horrible when they go outside and you see the fallout and they just start sunbathing. I say sunbathing, there's no fucking sun coverage at all. Uh, when they just lay down and just start taking it all in and just start breathing it in. And, well, yeah, it's bad they, it's just, they don't understand what nuclear fallout no. is. When they're looking around for it, it's like, well, I can't... I can't see anything. And that's the thing it says as well, that he got no information in the pamphlets about what Fallout looks like mm. or about what happens after. It's all concentrated on the blast yeah. and not really what you should be doing after. Again, clever. And they don't understand the devastation of what's happened because they have the conversations like, oh, I'll nip down to his shop. There's no way he'll close his shop, even for a, a bomb. Yeah. Um, because they just don't know, and they probably don't even realise that the sun's going to be dead. Yeah, like, like th- thinking that Milkman's coming yeah. next day, oh, it'll be here tomorrow, don't worry, he won't, love. <laughs> he absolutely won't. And they're not even in the thick of it, they're on the outskirts, they're far away from yeah. it, and it's still affecting them. I mean, I, I said to Chris when we were watching, I, I didn't realise just how few days there are involved in their demise. Because do, you're right, it does feel like ages. It's not. It's over the course of maybe like four or five days or something. It's not a long time at all for him to just start to deteriorate. And, oh, the worst bit. I mean, it's horrible when she starts being sick on herself and she's going, you know, I, I can't eat. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm feeling off my food. I can't be having this cup. They're the drinking rainwater in cups of tea, and you're like, oh, no, <laughs> just, you, yeah. you, you know they're going to die anyway, but they're just not helping themselves. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's exactly, that's why it's, 
That's why it's horrendous. Cause you're just sitting there watching them make wrong decision after wrong decision. Yeah. And you know, you're sitting there going, this, you know, it's not going to end well. It's like melancholy. You know that as soon as this drops, this isn't going to have a happy end. They're not going to turn around and suddenly everything's going to be okay. We know that as adults now, but as a child watching, so I didn't see this as a child, but as a child watching that, we're not used to seeing unhappy endings. Mm. Everything always works out when you watch children's stuff, doesn't it? No matter, Care Bears, it works out. Yeah. Like, you know. Even though they, they are slimed, they're yeah, still, they're still they alive. Work, but they, they're alive and, and, and everything works out. Like, mm. everything always works out in cartoons. Yeah. No matter what happens. So I can imagine as a child, if you're watching this and it don't work out, that's a fucking hard fact of life that you've just been served on a platter with nobody really to explain it to you. Because like you said, your parents, there's a good chance your parents have gone, oh yeah, watch it. And you're watching it on your own. Mm. God, actually, yeah, because it could be quite brutal. The bit I remember watching from when I was a child was the bit where her hair started to come out and that's the kind of trauma, the trauma image in my head where I go, oh shit, the hair falling out, oh my God. And I, I totally forgot how much worse it gets after that where they start becoming like gone and just dying and bleeding. From everywhere, yeah. Oh God. I mean, we did make a joke at one point, was I suffering from... Radiation, radiation poisoning sickness. because I'm quite sick a lot and I've got spots on my body and stuff. <laughs> and shed hair. Exposed to radiation. <laughs> no, of course I haven't. I'm not really making a joke about it. That would be wrong. Totally am. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, it, it's it's just awful. And then you know, right at the end, I, I'm not saying that they find God, but they feel like the right thing to do is to start praying because they know that. This is it. They're going to die. It's the last refuge. Mm. Oh, it's so horrible. This is, I, I feel like we, we might traumatise people with this one. It is, it's a traumatising film. It really, really is. I just, I can't believe they've let kids watch this. <laughs> I really can't. Return to Oz, I get it. It's a Walt Disney film, you know what I mean? And I can see the elements of fantasy in there that would make it a kid's film. Your pick, maybe not so much, <laughs> uh, but this, this is this is next level scaring kids. This is this is the shit that starts phobias. This is also written a PG, actually. So uh, maybe back in the day, like I don't think PG didn't exist, did it? Like when we were kids, I think so. No, I think it was like you. Oh no, I, I think it was like you were X-rated. That's it. Oh. So you were allowed. It's like <laughs> One or other. It's like adult or children. <laughs> Yeah, nothing in between. Nothing in between. Um, There's no spectrum. Um, and of, co- of course, we should mention as well that, you know, David Bowie got involved in this, which is odd. <sighs> like, the, the lyrics are odd. We, we spotted something at the end. I forgot what it was. There's a line in the song. I can't remember what it is, but it's just so inappropriate. Oh, something like, your children are dead, but we won't bring them back. And you're like, What? David! <laughs> I think he was supposed to do the entire soundtrack, but then he couldn't. Okay. Um, but um, that first song, the the actual opening song, I can't fucking stand. <laughs> it is such a horrible song. Like, the music, the lyrics, nothing works. <sighs> um, and I would just, like, literally, do you know what I'm tired of? You just go... Please don't let this set the tone for what I'm watching. It yeah, is. The, the, the first song's very uh, kind of narrative. 
which is the issue because it's very much like, go down, buy a pint of milk. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely hated it. Yeah. And I just thought, for... It's, it's not in keeping, I feel, with the film, but, you know, what do I know? I've never made a film, have I? So, no, I wrote you know. a song for a film. I wrote a song for a film. And this, uh, summing up, just, I, I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find something more traumatising than this film. And that is obviously the whole point of this episode. So if you if you like your films radiation-y and devastating and you like to watch OAP slowly dying and bleeding from every orifice, then have at it with When the Wind Blows. Okay, so that just leaves us with my choice. Looking back to what I first remembered and the first time I genuinely remember feeling terrified was a film we've actually already covered, so therefore ineligible. And it was An American Wealth in London, which I saw when I was sharing a sofa bed with my dad while I was on holiday in Devon when I was five. We could have just put your segment from last time into this. <laughs> It you didn't even have to show up. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we'll start doing that in the future when we just want to dial it in. We'll just start going and pasting. Oh these. no, I hate I hate clip shows. I hate clip show episodes. Oh my god, can we please just do a clip show episode <laughs> just for the sake of it? No. We'll, we'll put one out. We'll just I'll just edit bits that make either make no sense or just really dull. So Mercer just sitting there going, "Yeah, the the card, the car in that scene, I feel really adds something." And then we'll just, and then we'll just cut. Why me? Why? Well, why do I say things like that? Any? Maybe just edit all that. Um, you didn't see uh, the side eye. I just gave Mercer. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Anyway, let's focus on Chris and not our future episodes. Okay. Yes, exactly. So as I say, ineligible, unfortunately, but that's fine because it gives me a chance to talk about something else that. I absolutely love. And taking a bit of a, a sidestep in what constitutes a film, because this did not have a theatrical release. It was made for the BBC, and I'm sure that everyone now has very quickly clocked on that I'm talking about 1992's Ghost Watch. And I'm just going to hold for applause. Oh, my God. <laughs> I might clap you one day. Spam me one day. <laughs> this is a work of art. I'm going to be honest, I have made no notes whatsoever to discuss this film. You don't because, need to. Yeah, because I've seen it that much and I know why it's so absolutely brilliant that I'm going to try to explain without just running myself round in circles or boring everybody. This was a time. This is pre faux documentary. This is pre-Blair Witch, pre-Paranormal Activity, pre-anyone attempting something of this nature with the exception of War of the Worlds, mm. which, to be fair, is the granddaddy of them all. This, I think, is still up there among the most complained about BBC show of all time. Which says we said something about the way it was set up. Essentially, what we have here is, as I say, a, doc, a faux document, faux documentary, or faux live show 
where Michael Parkinson is hosting a live ghost watch with the help of Sarah Green, Mike Smith, Craig Charles, amongst others, all big stars of the early 90s, all household names. And that is number one why this piece is an absolute piece of art, an absolute masterpiece. Whoever thought of hiring Parky to lead this, an absolutely mainstream BBC superstar whose sheer presence makes this look completely 100% genuine. Not to jump in on your intro, but that is that is what makes Ghostwatch so brilliant, is that everybody trusted Parker back in the day. It was just like, you know, you your talk show host, it, that's all he did, he didn't do acting or anything like that. So to get him in on this, everybody will load in under the pretense that this was real. Even though he says it's a drama at the beginning, it it, it was advertised in Radio Times as a drama. And it has seen, and it, yeah, it's in the section that the BBC had for that, I think it was six different dramas they did over mm-hmm. over six weeks. So it had the the actual title card at the start is for the drama. Yeah. It's for the drama production. It's put on post-Watershed so that no one under... I say under, there's not, there's not an age cut-off. There, we know there's certain standards and what you can get away with after the Watershed that isn't suitable for a younger audience. I watched this live. I, I was wa- 11 when I watched this live. I also watched this live. Did you, Mercer... No. Oh. It was brilliant live. It was so good. Because you went to school next day and like, did anybody see last night? Like, Because ah. I'm assuming a lot of people didn't watch it, but I was watching it with my friend who uh, my uncle was looking after as well. Their, our parents were out and we were watching it. And because it mentions Fox Hill in it, and she lived at Fox Hill at the time, I'm like, oh, what if it's really Fox Hill? And she was freaked out. And when it was done, I'm like, do you know, I hear banging in our loft a lot. Maybe it's pipes. She started crying and then had to be took home when her dad came back. She weren't stopping over. No, I mean, it's a great it's a great location as well because, as you say, that it's just this, cul- just this London cul-de-sac. This little road could be anywhere in the UK. There's no big Gothic country house that they're doing stuff in. Yeah. It's very much... Based on the Enfield stuff, and that room, that room, you can see that there's lots that they appear to have just taken straight from, like the the photo, yeah, the photo where they're where they're in the air and bits like that, which look to be lifted straight from. But you know what? It's not. We're talking pre-internet days here, so it's not something that everyone could go on and just find out about. So using and borrowing from bits and pieces like that isn't. Something you'd immediately sit there and go, oh no, well, they've taken that from this film and that's from this tale here yeah. and that's from this story. But yeah, this quiet little cul de sac with just this, no, I'd say, Norm fam, mum, mum, two kids, the dad's gone, dad's divorced, he's gone. He's out of picture. He's out of the picture. Which makes you think, is this just a family, you know, are, are the girls playing up? Because yeah. they've not got a father figure in their life, and well, that's the thing. I mean, you just sim- you sympathise with them as well. You go, okay, so they're just struggling mum on her own, raising two kids, ghosts and shit going off all over the place. And as we go along, follow the night through, and shit gets more and more bizarre and just terrifying and absolutely bonkers as we go along. I say, going back to the the non the non actors, so. Parky, Craig Charles, Sarah Green, Mike Smith. 
what makes it so strong is not just the fact that, as you say, the main, they were mainstream presenters back in the day. It's the fact that they give a performance so natural you would not in any way, shape or form believe they are acting if you did not know. Yeah. I imagine the only way that worked is they sat them they sat them down and went, look, you have to commit to this 100% as if it's just a normal well, broadcast. Well, I mean, it, play, it, it wasn't... I said played live. It wasn't actually really live, was it? No. It was recorded, but it was made to look live like Inside Number 9 did with uh, Deadline. So, you know, they've clearly had time to get these takes right, but you're thinking you're just watching it organically and you're not. <laughs> yeah, but I think like what you said though, these, because these are TV presenters, we, every and people, very trust well them. known, and people trust them, people know how they react on camera and how they are on camera. So for them to actually maintain their own unique personality without, you know, because they've learned a script, they've learned lines, they've learned blocking, but they've got to do that as themselves. Yeah. I just think, you know, knowing that it's an act, so it's they're not being they're being themselves, but they know it's for a drama. Yeah. Um, so that the fact that they can do that and carry that off as naturally as they do is fucking ridiculously good. Mm. Especially Parker. His performance, like you can see, like well, I say you can see. Um, but the way he portrays this kind of like, I actually don't really believe what, what we're talking about. And he's a little bit snarky with it and yeah. a little bit like, you know. A non-believer. And he's a, he's yeah, a non-believer. Yeah. And he doesn't try and hide it. Mm. But it he, he doesn't feel like he's acting like a non-believer. It just feels like like that's what you'd expect from him. If, if you go back to like Parky's interview with um, Helen Mirren, I think he, you get that sense about him sometimes. He is a little bit. Holier than, not holier than thou, but he, th- he thinks he's above other people in certain respects. He does. So he comes across sometimes, and like he, like he did with Helen Mirren. So I think it's completely believable for him to be acting like that. The girls, not so much. Let's not lie. Let's not lie. You no, know, the, spades are spade. They were shit. It's the problem is, I imagine for for the other roles, you have to cast. Unknowns. Yeah. Because if you had someone who was on EastEnders, no, of course, up, of course, then it's just that no one ever questions why all three of them have got different accents. I didn't even notice that. All three of them have got I different accents. I don't. I, <laughs> that's the thing. If Mercer didn't even notice, I don't think it's that. Fair enough. Fair enough. But as I say, the problem is you can't have. You have to have unknowns because you can't have anyone who someone may, people may have seen in something mainstream. Although I think they all, they are all. Actors, yeah. So I think they've all done other stuff, but like you say, probably a bit role in this, um, or or whatever. But I do think the actors in this felt like actors, and 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 I think it's that contrast because the other people weren't. Yeah. So the contrast between the two kind of like natural, the natural performances of the presenters versus like the actors felt like you could feel a difference. I'm saying that knowing the background of the program so if i'd have seen this not knowing the background i can't a hundred percent say that i would say they're acting that's the thing i don't think i don't think you'd have sat there or i didn't or i don't remember at the time obviously i was only like 10 so you wouldn't i can't i wouldn't have sat there then and gone mama papa the performances <laughs> mama <laughs> the performances in this are just dreadful no but i imagine if you're sitting there and you go okay well it's parking he's him and everyone else is who 
they are. So you go, and if they go, if they go, oh, here's Mrs. Smith who lives in this house. You go, okay, right, that's that's Mrs. Smith. And you don't go because you're not looking at the performance because you're not thinking of it as a drama. So you're not critiquing yeah. the performance. You're just going, oh, okay, there's this person. And I guess as well, people probably like if you interview someone on tele, they're probably going to do something like change their accent a little bit. Like, probably, yeah, you sometimes probably... not now. People don't care now. But you know, like. Like it's like phone voice, isn't it? I bet you've got TV. Yeah, exactly. Like, voice. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you, you I tend guess. to try to put on the best version. You try to put on the best version of stuff. So maybe with the accent she's got, maybe she she would come across speaking differently on camera than she would do just normally. So it may seem sound fake, but I think we're maybe giving a little bit too much credit in what they were, what they were looking to do with. That. Um, I did actually look as well, and the, the camera guy, Chris Miller, he's actually a real camera guy. He does Would I Lie to You in EastEnders and such. Ah. Not even an actor, just a real camera guy. I, sp- I suppose it's one of those things where... If you get if as you many see, people If you as... see him carrying it around and stuff, you have to look, you have, you have to look realistic yeah. as a cameraman. You can't have somebody just wave and shoot. The, the... I wait, I'm doing bait wildly for the benefit of the audio I'm doing wildly massive gestures of someone looking around everywhere with a camera like for its time Ghost Watch is genius it, it just tricks you on so many levels like you even had it earlier where we were watching it and there's there's a clip where they turn the lights off in the girl's bedroom and you see pipes behind the curtain and then it's like oh can we just go back we think we might have seen it and then when you go back he's not there you're like but I just saw it I just saw it there. It's like, yeah. That is clever because you don't realise that they've obviously put a different edit on or like, they like fast forward it or whatever. Yeah. You don't know what they've done. It feels authentic. And we're not, we're not in Days of Sky where you can't just pause it and rewind it. No, yeah. it's for terrestrial TV. So even if you record it, you're not going to, you can stop it and things. You can stop it and start playing the feed, playing the recording back while you're trying to record it. So yeah, so there's little things where if you, because it's, just that little quick take or that little quick cut. You can't go back and go, oh, yeah, yeah, look how clumsily that's done. And you absolutely couldn't back in day. And, and then, obviously, when internet came about and Ghost Watch, people started talking about Ghost Watch more widely, which was fucking brilliant. Love it. Um, you did start to learn that, the, you know, he'd been in more places in the show than you'd seen him. It's seven seven sightings. Seven sightings. I saw him loads. Yeah. But when you watch it first time, you don't. But I didn't see... What they described. Okay. The man in the black suit. Oh, did you know when you? Did you know when they're in the kitchen? It, it looks, like it looks, a, it looks a lot like the dude from Cabin in the Woods who's got the um, saws in his head. Yeah. It's like did buttoned you, up at the top, like leather, kind of hell I think the most. Yeah, I think the one it looks clearest in is when they're in the kitchen. They do the shot yeah. out the back patio. Doors. Oh, they're out doing interviews on the street though, and they had over there, a yeah, crowd, and he's standing in the crowd. Oh, I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, seven sightings. But no, it, it would talk, like I said, the, the more you talked about it, the more you noticed these things, and now you can go back and see them. But at the time, you didn't have all that. So if you spotted something, somebody else didn't, could make you look like you were being a yeah. fool. But I didn't see it. It's like, but I definitely saw it. And then we to trick you. Then we have the great plot twist where the kids, uh, fa- the kids are apparently faking. Yeah. Faking the hauntings. Because it just, it just has Well, at that so point, you let your guard down, don't you, and go, well, I have to fake it. Because a lot of people are watching it as a documentary. That's right? the, yeah, it had so much to the realism. Because you go there, and if they've gone, right, okay, so we we go in this house, and within 10 minutes, there's, pa- there's pans and shit flying across the room. You go, okay, well, clearly this is 
This yeah. is BBC drama about one of that. Where'd you go there? And it's doing it. And it's a case of, as you say, they find out there, it looks like they concocted the whole thing. And Parker's Park is like, oh, well, there you go. And you go, and you feel it could end it. You go, oh, well, yeah, I suppose it makes sense. It's not got, how about the odds of them just wandering across to a haunted, finding a haunted house? Yeah. I mean, as, as well, as part of the plot of it is to have a number for people to call in. So people would, I, I think that, at the time, if you rang in, you got like an automated message. You got a recorded message that yeah. said you were watching a BBC, watching a BBC drama. Yeah. But if, if people weren't ringing in, they wouldn't have known that. And I, I do, if we can, when we finish talking about it, just a little bit about the backlash of it, because it's just the best in history for me. We'll wait, we'll save it, we'll save it yeah. till the end for the backlash, because I don't want to get... Of course. When yeah. we're discussing on the actual tech, the merits of the show, I don't want to get bogged down in what yeah. happened merits. afterwards. Merits. <laughs> um, the little, as, as I say though, the fact we had the that little bit where we go, oh, it's all fake. But it's all those little bits as well where it's just like little fuck ups, like the tape stopping or the bit where they cut the Craig Charles when he's in the street and he's just. He's just messing around and just having a chat and doesn't realise he's on. Just makes it feel like a real live broadcasting yeah, fuck up. It does. I think, um, or I really enjoyed, even though I knew it was a repeat of what we'd seen earlier, but I really enjoyed the way, like, when the, it cut off after, like, we've got this devastation happening and the cameraman's been knocked out, then it comes back on and they're all sat around playing that mm. game again. And they're like, oh, everything's all right. And I'm, I, like, as a viewer, I'm like, that's from earlier. Yeah. But that, that's not now. But I think that's a really clever thing to do to, because it's, it's almost what you'd expect the BBC to do to cover up the fact that shit, something's gone wrong. Yeah. So just play it, play something where everyone looks And I'm like, this is, that is clever. Um, and then, but I didn't like is when she went, it's in the machine. The ghost in the machine. The worst part, I've got to say, the worst part is she goes, we've, We've done a seance, a nationwide seance or something. And I'm like, shut up, Doctor, shut up. I we love that bit. Yeah. <laughs> you, the thing is, you have to. I, don't, I mean, you don't have to. They could have just left it with the. They could have just left it with the house. But then again, you. Then again, how do you fit? How do you wrap up the show? Because you go, oh, Sarah Green's been in, trapped, <laughs> Sarah trapped Green's in the glory been, hole. Trapped in the glory hole. <laughs> but imagine this. How exciting! Can it you would just? Have been. We just literally just went over glory hole there. Yeah, like, we're not. not there's, there's, no, there's, there's, there's no gang that hasn't already been made about yeah. the fact it's called a glory Fair hole. Point. Sorry, well, I don't know why they opted to call it that. Because that's what it was. I think it's the thing people. Yeah, I think it's just. It's that genuinely known as. Yeah, but glory holes existed in them days as I well. I know. Believe me. I know. I guess. I guess. <laughs> I um, mate, you were like eleven at the time. <laughs> I fucking hope you weren't knowing about glory holes. Nom nom nom. I think. Um, I think if you're living in middle of London, middle of suburbia, you probably don't. Yeah. It's very likely that. He goes, I was going to go down my glory hole. And she goes, well, you do know what that is, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I would. Um, but just imagine how cool it would be. And I know we don't rewrite movies, but, you know, obviously every time we do an episode, we say we don't rewrite them, but we do. Um, how cool it would have been if the ending was the cameraman, like, fighting with that door, like, camera down, pulling it open, and so green just falling out dead. Well, I mean, oh, God, that, yes. that, that, that would have been like, everyone would have been like, fuck me, fuck me. Just cut that. Yeah. The after that, nobody, because, like, you didn't have like Twitter and stuff like that. Nobody knew what happened to Sarah Green. It's like, is Sarah Green all right? You know, it, it, did she make it out something? And like when 
inside You'd... number nine did it and then I think after the they finished the, yeah. Reese just exi- like, existed Reese went away for months and didn't come back for I think like May when summer when you know Wicker Man thing came around so the influence it has on people even to that detail is incredible as, yeah I mean as I said I think you had you had to wrap it up some you had to wrap it up somehow I think the idea of going big or going home was probably the right the right thing to do to I've try to offer an explanation as to why. I'm just going to say, this I, has I loved Mike Smith's reaction to Sarah Green getting dragged yeah. in there as well. His genuine concern and fear that she got. He played that so well. I think it's clever the fact that they don't focus on him. They focus on Parky and he's in the background going, "I'm not going anywhere. I want you to yeah. get that feed up, and I want to see my wife." Mm. That's quite clever because then, because that does feel like real, yeah, as opposed to like, oh, it's filming, yeah. Um, but that is quite clever. And I think as well, like, I know that, like, obviously this is influenced by the Enfield haunting. Yeah. But I do think a lot of successors after this have got to have used this as an influence for them. Like you said, Chris, it's like one of the earliest films or documentaries of its time to use that docudrama. We're saying documentaries like it's real, isn't it real? <laughs> <laughs> mockumentary. It's a mockumentary. <laughs> But to use that docu that documentary style and yeah. um, that kind of like found footage yeah. style as well, um, it's it's really it's well ahead of its time. Definitely, I think. and I think that's why when we when we did start to hear about it through people on the internet and stuff, is it's got cult status now for sure. Oh yeah, like, you can get those. You still you get live screenings to this day where yeah, Stephen Vulcan. Leslie Manning, okay. We, Stephen we, we've Bob done Moore, the tweet zero. along, have we? Yeah, a couple we've, of Halloweens. We've done, the annual, yeah. we've done the annual tweet along, which it's, is a lot of fun. It's really fun. Right. That's, before I sum up, let's move on to the back, because I know you're both, you're both passionately grabbing for your notes, because oh! you want to discuss the backlash. I do love the backlash so much. They were like, report, to the point where it ran like points of view or a talk show on BBC the next day. There was a whole points of view, I found. Yeah, like people it. saying, you should have told us this was not real. My husband peed his pants. Are you going to pay for his trousers and stuff like that? And you're like, what the actual fuck? I mean, people were in like audiences on TV shows arguing about it. It was amazing. It's like the best thing. It's the best follow up to anything I've ever seen ever. I would say, just as a quick aside, if you listen to one interview with the everyone associated with Ghostwatch, check out the Evolution of Horror Ghostwatch special because mm. absolutely they got manning and vote they got all the key they interview a load of the key players from it and it's absolutely brilliant definitely worth the listening yeah. if you like goes watch i just i just wonder if at the time you know you make a drama and you put it out there and i don't i don't think they knew just how big this was going to get i don't think anyone really plans for i think you think it's going to be successful but you don't really plan for like the future success of something yeah because Whoever knows, you really don't know whether you're making a cult classic or not. This um, got, um, apparently, was the first TV programme to be cited in the British Medical Journal for having caused post-traumatic stress in children. Mental. Mental. Absolutely insane. So good, I mean, so good. It's a 12 as well now, <laughs> the, re- the release cut. I, I so wanted it to be real when I was, I've said this before. I was praying it was real. I'm like, this has got to be, you know. But like you say as well, uh, 
obviously just jumping back, but it's also very relatable for us because it's in, like, she's a council estate mum. Yeah. I don't know about you, Chris, but we're council estate. I am also. All three of us council estate. It looks like, as as I was looking at the house, I was like, oh my God, it just looks like the houses that I lived in. Yeah. Like, that little hallway, bedroom, bedroom, yeah. bathroom. Like, everything felt like something Real. that we could relate to. Yeah. Um, whereas a big manor or a mansion or a gothic building, that that's there's, there's an element of not, non-believability for us because we'd never experienced that. But, yeah, that's really clever as yeah. well. So good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I haven't even mentioned the way they actually build up the villain. When the 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 guy does the call to explain who Pipes is is genuinely brilliant. The best bit is where they pause and they think he's either hung up or they've lost the call, and it's just because he's gathering himself together to carry on telling the story. Absolute masterstroke. Yeah, he was probably the only non-actor. I mean, the only actor. That felt like a non-actor mm. to me. Like, like you said, the, there was an air of believability about him telling his story versus like some of the others. Yeah. Um, that called. Up. But he had like prank calls before to show that it just yeah. giving the illusion of a real a real phone line. So like, oh, you got pranks to completely, completely in ankles. The guy was cheese and pickle sandwich because that's what you do if you phoned up. You went, oh, my sandwich, you've got the thing. You wouldn't go, all right, I believe it's evidence. Go, she go, oh, but you, yeah, I had a cheese and pickle sandwich. You don't need to tell, but if you phone someone up to tell them, you would. That's kind of stupid detail. Yeah. you would mention. So See, it's so it's so good. We just get so, we'll get sucked back into discussing the entire show again. So I should probably just sum it up. For as be fair, I'm, I nearly can't sum it up better than Mercer did there with it being in the British Medical Journal. If you want to, <laughs> literally just that line. If you want to vote for something so traumatizing. It's in the British Medical Journal for causing post-traumatic stress disorder. That then vote for Ghostwatch. Did I just help you win? <laughs> Is that what just happened? I had no idea that. Shouldn't, fact. Have, been, shouldn't have been a fact finder. No, thank you very much, though, Mercer. I'll take facts everywhere I can find them. I haven't won in a while. I need. <laughs> I know it's, it, this has literally been face bits on John and Chris and Peter Black. Um, well, you like it. You look happy. Um, she don't fap over us. She does. It's oh, terrifying. Um, my budget terrifying. Anyways, that's uh, that's it. That's the three films or doc or TV shows, whatever. The three things that had an influence on us as children that shaped us as adults and made Chris afraid of ghosts, Faye afraid of war, and me nuclear af- war. Nuclear war. And me afraid of women who can swap their heads. <laughs> um, do you think afraid of women? Do you think that's had any, <laughs> do you think that's had any impact on your life choices? Well, <laughs> stop. Oh yeah, yes, relentless. Um, I don't know. what I'm saying. Anyway, so that's it. That's this episode. Um, so don't forget to vote. We'll put out the poll after this episode is been released why is that such a difficult sentence the episode drops when the episode drops on tuesday or today we'll part of the poll when the episode drops on tuesday and um chris 
See us out. Sure, round up our socials. Please, if you enjoyed the episode and you want to follow us, you can do so at SpitGrays on both Twitter and Instagram. We're I Spit on Your Grays on Facebook. And if you need to email us, you can reach us at electricpossums at gmail.com. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe because every little bit does help. So we appreciate it. Well, I did see the other day we were, we were around number 20 on the Australian podcast, <laughs> podcast for film review show. Nice. So there you go, Australia. Thanks, Australia. Yeah, thank you, Australia as a whole. Thank you. I imagine it because they're, they're in lockdown again. I don't think they've got a lot to actually do. I'll <laughs> sit there and listen to the podcast, but we do appreciate it. But yeah. Thanks for picking us. Thanks for picking us. <laughs> Until next time, fuck off. You can't tell us <laughs> listeners to fuck off there. I mean it in a nice way. Until next time, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Fuck off. <laughs>